to, to just relax for a moment, to be at peace. And uh, you're just going to focus on the verse that I'm going to read to you. And I'm going to read it several times. We're going to adjust the verse as we go. And the idea is to meditate on it and to listen to the Spirit. So to really ask the Spirit, um, God, would you in some way uh, use these words of your text to speak to me in this moment? Help me to listen. Help me to hear what you have to say. And uh, I want you to just focus on a phrase that might catch your attention and ask God, what do you want from me in this? What is your hope for me? So after I say each phrase, it will be on the screen too, so that you can just visually see it. And just, we're just going to sit in this for a moment, all right? Psalm 46.10 says this, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be. This morning, I'm going to teach on this particular phrase, a phrase that you meditated on for a few moments. My goal is to create a thought or two in particular uh, that we can discuss as groups, that we can interact with as uh, friends or as a couple, uh, or when you hang out with someone this week. And all of the teaching is going to center on this idea of become or becoming. Um, and part of why I think it's important for us to talk about this particular subject is because I think we have a bit of a conundrum in our human condition and the way we understand ourselves and the things we do. Because I think we toggle back and forth between being people who seek achievement and seek meaning. We go back and forth between these two ideas. There's a classic essay called The Lonely Man of Faith, and the writer in it reminds us of something we talked about a while back when we went through the beginning of Genesis. And part of what he says in there is a reminder that the Torah, the Genesis, the beginning, uh, tells us two creation narratives, two stories at the very beginning in Genesis 1 and 2. And these two creation stories, if you look at them separately, give us two different descriptions of the creation of Adam the creation of man. In the first account, we have Adam and Eve being created as the pinnacle of all creation. And so Adam is seen in the image of God as a striver, a doer. He is someone that is uh, a creator and achiever. He's been given the responsibility to rule and reign. And so that's the first picture of Adam. And then we have the Adam of the second creation account. And that Adam is the gardener the contemplator, the caretaker. He understands the world into which he is placed and he's present in it. He's aware of his surroundings. And these are the two sides of our nature, the two pieces of what it means to be human, to exist in the image of God. There is the doer and the contemplator. There is the achiever and the caretaker. 
There's the person who understands the world as a human doing, and then the person who understands the world through the lens of being a human being. And it's these two parts of ourselves that, that represent who we are in the image of God. And what's interesting to me is that we often recognize the need for both of those sides, but we probably do a pretty terrible job at one side or the other. We tend to exist more, some of us as human beings and others of us as human doings. But Adam the contemplator is needed just as much as Adam the doer. Adam the doer needs to be here to help us build society and create technology and to understand a better future and to envision what, uh, what the world needs. And yet Adam the contemplator needs to be able to put it all into perspective, to give things meaning and purpose. Uh, this particular side of us strives to just be, to be aware of the here and the now. And we tend to be binary creatures, right? We're either a this or a that, a yes or a no, a black or a white. We tend to be people who say, I'm either with them or against them. That I'm either someone who's for it or against it. And we have these sides of us that we tend to fight back and forth with. And often in Western culture, the religious world will communicate that the best thing you could do as a follower of Jesus is to be all about the doing. Do more, try harder, add more to your plate, figure out how to accomplish it, follow the rules. All those kinds of things speak to this idea of being a doer, but often in doing that, the church has also excluded the idea of being being present and contemplative. And perhaps that's why we are told this particular verse, to be still and know that I am God. And the verse is so challenging because what it's trying to do is it's inviting all of us into this idea of being present, of being someone who strives to just simply be. And that, I believe, is part of what it means to become. The definition of become, if you were to look it up in the dictionary, it means simply this, begin to be. Begin to be. And our command from our teaching this morning is very simple and yet very difficult all at the same time. It's to be still. In the Hebrew, it means to be weak, to let go, to release. It carries with it the idea of to stop striving, to surrender. Now, when you think of surrender, there's probably a lot of different um, images that come to mind. Certainly, there is the image of an enemy being defeated and surrendering, right? But the image that comes to my mind when I think of surrender is me thinking about fixing something in my house. Yes, yeah, so you can laugh. That's fine. I'm, you know, I'm midlife now and I've become okay with it. Uh, I usually start my projects with a great sense of bright optimism, with energy, with this sense of uh, being able to conquer and to fix whatever it is that needs fixing. And it isn't long before I'm at the end of my capacity. I don't want to admit that, but I get there rather quick, and I realize something that I'm working on is not working, and in fact, things may be headed in the wrong direction. 
is usually what I start thinking. And so I try harder and I try to figure it out. And I'm like, man, if I put more effort into it, if I, if I charge the batteries on the drill before I start the project, whatever, like if I do something, it's going to help me accomplish this more effectively. And I get really, really frustrated because I think it should be far simpler than I'm making it in the moment. And it's right about that time that Shannon comes up to me and says something like, do you think we should call someone? You know, uh, you've got a lot of friends. That's what friends are for. Or, hey, we could just pull, uh, get on the internet, find someone who does this for a living and is much better at it, no offense, and they could come and they could help. She even might say like, hey, what about YouTubing it? Like there are other people who've, put these things on the internet and you could look up how to do it. And I'm usually like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to figure this out. Like it's going to happen. And then my frustration level grows and I get to the point where I'm exasperated and I'm like, I think I need to quit, but still there's something in me that fights saying that. And so like, I'm like, no. So if a friend comes over and they watch me, I'm like, it's, it should be working. I just can't figure it out. And they're like, well, what have I'm like, hold on one more. And I try one more time. And then finally I'm like, I surrender. I I can't do this. It is beyond me. And then my friend steps in and like 30 seconds later, it's all fixed. Right? So that's usually how the process goes. I don't want to let go. And so I fight it until the point where I finally surrender. And I want us to consider for a moment if that same analogy trickles over into life in general. Maybe you have something right now with God that you're going through. Some struggle with life, a relationship, something at work, maybe with a coworker. Perhaps it's a lack of relationship. Maybe you feel like you lack direction or hope or joy. Maybe there's something that you are frustrated with. And the question is, have you let go yet? Have you surrendered? Or are you like me where you're still trying to work it out? Are you still trying to like hold on and figure it out? In it, Jesus says, be still, let go, surrender. But have you really let go yet? Have you let go of your need to understand? The need to know exactly how to do it. What to say. How to be. Have you let go of the need to figure it out or find solutions? Have you surrendered? I thought about this idea this week, and here's the hardest part of the idea of surrender. To surrender is to admit you have been defeated. To surrender is to admit that you've been defeated. That's why I don't want to give up on house projects. That's why you might not want to give up on the thing you're wrestling with. 
and you just haven't let go yet. William Booth, founder of Salvation Army, says, the greatness of a man or woman's power is the measure of his or her surrender. Surrender really is at the core of being transformed, of becoming. So our first call is to be still or surrender. The second is to know God. I want to meditate on this for just a moment. This phrase, to be still and know that I am God, Hebrew, in the Hebrew, it's basically implying that in order to know God, which I think for most of us is a big, big desire, in order to know God, it implies the necessity of being still, of letting go, of surrendering. And sometimes what we have to surrender is what we think we know. And we have to admit that sometimes our view of who God is might not be exactly divine. C.S. Lewis says it this way, my idea of God is not a divine idea. It has to be shattered from time to time. He shatters it himself. He is the great iconoclast. Could we not almost say that this shattering is one of the marks of his presence? So my picture of God has continued to be shattered, especially around a set of parables in the Gospels. Jesus tells these three interrelated stories that I find so profound. I keep coming back to them again and again and again. The three stories are of things that are lost. There's a lost sheep. There's a lost coin. There's a lost sons. And the story is meant to overlap and uh, to interconnect in ways that keep telling us something about the God figure in the story. It keeps reminding us that there's something significant about God. And I want to highlight two of the things that I think it tells us are so significant about this God-like figure. The first is that God pursues. God is in the business of pursuit. This parable reminds us that he is the divine pursuer. He's the one doing the searching. So much of what we've been told throughout our lives is search, 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 and it's the opposite. It's God that's doing the searching. He's the one that's chasing. He's the one that's trying to get closer and closer and closer and more present with each and every one of us. We get into this false mindset at times where I think that what we believe is that God is playing hide and seek and that He's the one that's hiding, and we're the one that's seeking, and he's turned out the lights. And so we're just simply moving around and waving our arms and hoping that we bump up against him, hoping that we might touch him in some way, hoping that we might get to know him a little bit more. But most of the time, he wants to remain hidden. Most of the time, he wants to be secretive. But what we have here is the shepherd that goes and seeks out the sheep, We have the woman who seeks out the coin. We have the father who seeks out both sons. There is a pursuit. And God is the one pursuing. The second thing we have, I think, in this story for us to think on is the sheep and the coin and the sons, they do something really particular. You ready for it? What does the sheep do in the story? 
Absolutely nothing. What does the coin do in the story? Absolutely nothing. What does the son do in the story? Absolutely nothing. Now, some of you might say, well, he seems like he returned home. Yes, thinking he would be a servant and yet being greeted as a son. He did nothing to earn that. Nothing. The other son waiting in that space did nothing. Over and over, the point that's being made is that these actors or characters in the story did absolutely nothing. The whole story turns on that. Like to get the full meaning, to like to understand it, the aha, the big reveal, the excitement is they did nothing. I spoke about this idea a couple months ago and felt compelled this week to bring it up again because I think it's so important. It's an idea that I think takes deep root within us and it takes a long time for it to die before something else can be resurrected. And it is this idea that we are in a transactional relationship with God. And I think it is so important for us to continue to talk about it because most of us, the motives, the actions, the intents of our heart are somehow tethered to this idea that we are in a transactional relationship with God. And transactionalism is this idea that if I do A, God will do B. That if I somehow achieve enough, do enough, act right, think the right things, whatever it is, that somehow God will be pleased in a way that he is not currently pleased with me. And we have this battle to keep trying to do more, to accomplish more, to be more. And when we think about that, it starts to gnaw on us. And the reason I know it gnaws on us is I've been doing pastoral ministry for over 20 years, and I get asked questions a lot. It's part of the job, I think. And so people come and they share something that's deep, something they're frustrated with, something they got a question about. And if you're reading behind that question, if you're not taking it at face value, if you're going beyond it and digging deeper, what you're getting to at the core of that question is usually some form of anxiety, some fear. Am I doing enough? Is God happy with me? Does God love me? Is he angry with me? Did I do something that now he has rejected me? These are things that like eat at the core of who we are. And I think the answer is in the matters of God The answer is to not try harder. The answer is to be still, to let go, to surrender. In fact, Jesus says to the older son in the parable, son, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. Daughter, you are always with me and everything that I have is yours. The sheep, the coin, the sons did absolutely nothing. If you start with instructions and commands, people might be mistaken into thinking that God loves us because of what we do or how religious or moral or good we are. That's not gospel. Gospel is the announcement of who God insists you now are 
because of Christ. You're a child of God, not because of how great you are, but because God has all kinds of kids and you're one of them. But if you tell people who they are, who their best selves are, if you remind them of their true identity, there's a good chance they'll know what to do as they live out the good news. I think, listen to this, the thing that you are pursuing, whatever it is, the thing that you're internally feeling at this moment, that thing you're pursuing, you already possess. Already. All that you thought is getting you points with God is not. It's not. It's a false system. It's not the way it works. That's not God's economy. Whatever you're striving for, whatever you're trying to add, whatever you're like, if I do this more, more and more of this, he will be happy. It's not working. That's not the system. The three things, the sheep, the coin, the sons, right? They cannot not belong. They already belong. They're already a part. The, the reason they're looking for the sheep is why it was a part of the hundred and it isn't anymore. It's gone. Where's it gone? I'm going to go find it. The coin is part of the 10. It's not there anymore. I'm going to find it, right? They belong already. There's nothing they have to do. They just simply have to be. Henry Nouwen said this, I am the prodigal son every time I search for unconditional love where it cannot be found. And some of us, I think, myself included, are searching for this unconditional love that comes from God. And we're searching for it by doing more, by trying to accomplish, by trying to please. But when we live from a space of belonging, we operate very differently. For some people, I think when you say, do you believe the gospel? What they mean is, have you taken part in a transaction? And that is not our God. The gospel is the announcement that everything you could ever try to do has already been done. Jesus ratified that when he says, it is finished. Son, daughter, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. And today we are reminded to be still and know that he is God. Let's pray. God, may you <clears throat> remind us that you are a good father, a father that loves, a father that welcomes, a father that uh, does not keep point tallies. He does not look down on us and go, oh my goodness, finally, now I love them but always loves. There's nothing you could do to earn any more of his favor. You already belong. May we enter into that belonging by simply being. May we surrender to you. And in surrendering, may we be found. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.